Hey friends, so we've had a couple episodes lately on the topic of old-fashioned childhood, what that looks like and how we can facilitate that for our kids, and a really big part of an old-fashioned childhood, and hopefully also our modern childhood experiences, is that kids and nature go together really, really well. But unfortunately, it's an aspect of raising kids that's not what it used to be. And so I'm so excited to have the foremost thought leader and expert on this topic with us today. Uh, Jenny Urich is all about the world of nature-based play and its benefits for children. You might have come across her podcast or her Instagram account, uh, A Thousand Hours Outside. It's fantastic content, so much good stuff there. And she's a mother of five and also the founder of the 1,000 Hours Outside Challenge. Um, so welcome, Jenny. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. So let's. Just, I'm just going to dive right in because that's just how I roll. Um you know, as homesteaders, have you ever done a homestead podcast before? It's probably, is it kind of on the periphery maybe of your Yeah, niche, I, I, I have. I have. Okay. Yeah, we've got a little, we've got a little hobby farm here. So oh, good. I'm, I'm in the world a little bit. You're in the world. Okay. Awesome. Um, it's so much crossover. It's really, it's, I think it just segues really well. Um, but obviously as homesteaders, our kids are outside maybe more than average. They have more to do outside. It's hmm. kind of more of our lifestyle. Um, but I know that with you know, maybe the rest of the world, that's not as normal. So for the homestead parents listening, some of the stuff you might hear today could be, you know, you're, you're already aware of it, you're already doing it. But for maybe those of you who aren't quite in the homestead world, or maybe you have kids who aren't digging the outside activities, I'm hoping, or I know you'll get some good nuggets from this. Um, so I guess, Jenny, my first question for you is, what happens? Like, how did we get to this point today in our modern world where nature and childhood, we don't really see them as being like going together like they used to. You know, that's a really interesting question, Jill. I have been reading quite a bit about it. I just read a book called Humans Need Not Apply by Jerry Kaplan and about mm -hmm. sort of the infusion of artificial intelligence and how that is changing our world. And I read a book by Susan Lynn called Consuming Kids about the change in the marketplace and how yeah. kids have basically become a commodity. And then Nicholas Carderas has a book called Glow Kids. He's a PhD who talks about screen addiction. And he actually has a book coming out in September called Digital Madness. Um, it's, it's fascinating. It is wild. He wrote his other book, um, I don't know, maybe in 2008. So it's been, you know, over a decade, but the change is so drastic. So, you know, kids have become a commodity. That's mm -hmm. one part of it. College is, um, there's all these things going on with college. I actually just talked to this woman named Linda Flanagan, and she wrote a book called Take Back the Game about sports and the rise in youth sports and how things have become all consuming. And she was talking about colleges play all these games where if they have a lower percentage of people that get in, it boosts them in the rankings. And so they're trying to get people to apply, 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 and so that they can tell them no, so that they only have oh. a 6% uh, of people that get in and then that boosts them in the college rankings. And so there's all these things that are going on behind the scenes that are adding to stress and anxiety to parents who are trying to do the best and navigate a, a really fast paced changing world uh, for our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had Susan Lynn on a few episodes ago and she had some 
fascinating and scary things to say about just how our kids are being marketed to all the time and just how much everything has changed and so quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really fast. In fact, I just had read, um, Cal Newport has a book called Digital Minimalism and he calls them the nerd, the nerd gods. And he's, and he says basically like, you know, you think you get this fun toy from the nerd gods and it's, and it's basically there to steal your soul. And so, you know, in that Nicholas Carderis, he talks about how the video games of today are meant to increase your blood pressure to 180 over 120 within a very short period of time, two minutes, something like that. Uh, and if it doesn't do that, they're back to the drawing board. So all of these things mm-hmm. are meant to hook us and they're using the value of social capital and novelty and all of the things, you know, you write about, right? You write about the good old fashioned things, you know, you write about face-to-face conversations and all of these things that are age old. And it's like the tech companies have taken those things and spun them just a little bit um, to where they're not satisfying, but they're still grabbing our attention. I, I think the the topic of kids and screens is such a big one these days. But maybe one of the challenge, most challenging parts of that is as adults, you know, we're telling our kids one thing and then we're doing another sometimes because the technology is just as addicting for us as it is the kids. So do you have some strategies that you use or you recommend for adults that are wanting to help their kids get off screens, but maybe also themselves as well? It is tricky, isn't it? I actually yeah. just read this idea the other day. Oh, and I wish I could remember where I read it. It was in someone's book. If I think about it, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the notes. But they said to say out loud what you're doing. And I thought that was super interesting Mm. because if you say, I'm about to mindlessly scroll on Instagram, (laughs) you know, but if you say, look, I have an email that came in and I need to respond. I'm speaking at a conference and I need to send my topics. You know, that type of thing is really different. But, um, you know, I think that when we fill our life with, homesteading things, when we fill our life with outdoor adventures, when we fill our life with people and relationships, we have less time for screens. And so that has been my main strategy. I think that there are a lot of little strategies that people do, like they don't put their phone in their bedroom. You know, you put your phone in the drawer when you're in your room. They're talking, you know, a lot of people are talking about don't take it everywhere with you. Mm -hmm. Try to leave it home when you run and get gas or something. And it is this weird thing. You feel like it's an extra appendage. So leave it and don't bring it with you. And and get used to not having that right there with you all the time. But for me, the best strategy that has worked for us for a very long time is just to do things and and to be out having adventures. And, and then you just don't have time for it. And a lot of times, sometimes you don't have signal. So that's good if yeah. you're out on certain adventures. And that's just, um, it's kind of like how things used to be, right? Like there were boundaries. There were built-in boundaries in society where there was times when there wasn't good television on. Or there was times when you couldn't call someone because it's 1030 and you're going to get in trouble if you call them at night. You know, you call your friend. But now kids are on their phones through the night and there's no boundaries in place anymore. So um, that's one place. Occasionally, if you're out in nature, sometimes you have no signal and it's that imposed boundary from somewhere else. And it's just great. People, people love that when they go and there's no cell phone service. And in fact, have you heard of these places where that you can get your, you can lock your phone in a box, 
You can go mm-hmm. to certain vacation spots and they'll lock your phone in a box and then they give you, sometimes they'll give you like a voucher for an adventure or something because they know that in the long run, you're going to have a lot better time if you're not just taking up all your time on the screen. It's funny how things come full circle like that to where now somebody yeah. might go and purposely pay more to have an adventure where their phone isn't there. Whereas that used to be normal, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Life is, life is funny. Yeah. It's yeah. swinging back. I think there's yeah. a piece too. I think there's a piece that we didn't talk about at the beginning about um, just understanding the value of play. And I think because mm-hmm. college has become so tricky and it's, it's, there's these gray areas. You don't really know how to get in. You have to send in your application and you don't know. And they're not very, they're discreet. There's no sort of, sometimes it feels like there's no rhyme or reason. You don't know why you get in, why you don't. And so parents are feeling this pressure from the time their kids are really young to enrich. And so you got kids that are out shoveling poop and you got the neighbor who's learning the trombone and you're feeling less than, and it is a real pressure. And I think what's happening through different authors and different researchers, and there's really a lot now, Jill, is that they're coming on and saying, no, no, this play holds so much value for kids, for their cognition, for their creativity, for their flexibility, for their social skills. And I think as more of that information comes out, then parents can feel a little bit um, less pressure and they can breathe and they can understand that you can do less, less of those pay for enriching activities and yes. still gain what you want to gain. Absolutely. And I, in, in researching for my latest book, I had a chapter on kids and that's what, one of the things I loved most about the research. Like you said, there's so much out there that's like, no play means mm-hmm. something. It's not just, Oh, we let the kids do it. And we're not, they're not in basketball or baseball or dance lessons. No, it actually has a a value yeah. that's way beyond, um, which is reassuring mm-hmm. because even even me, I mean, I'm pretty unorthodox, but sometimes it's hard when I see friends whose kids are in 16 different activities and my kids are in one and I'm like, man, wait, am I doing the right thing? Am I stunting them by letting them just be on the farm all day? Should I have them enrolled in more? And so I even have to have those conversations with myself. Um, if someone, if a parent... Mm-hmm is struggling with that. And they ask you, what would be your best way to talk yourself through those doubts? You know, it's interesting, Jill, I continue to read because I have them too. You know, it's the start of school year here while we're recording this and, you know, everyone's signing up for their stuff and you have to talk yourself off the ledge, you know, to not sign up for all the things and to keep, to try and keep a balance. Aaron Lochner has a book called Chasing Slow, And I think it's such a brilliant title because the slow is not what comes easy. The slow is hard and the slow you have to fight for, you have to chase it. And so I continue to read and research. And I think what's coming out is that because our world is changing so rapidly, like for example, careers used to change. They say the skills used to change on a generational time scale. So every generation, there's a new set of skills that you're going to need while they're changing faster than that. And jobs are only lasting 18 months where they used to last 18 years. And so we're preparing our kids for a different future, one that is going to require flexibility. And where do they learn flexibility? It's not in structured activities that are there where adults tell you what to do all the time. You learn flexibility through figuring out what to do on your own. And so for me, I have to, I have to keep that stuff in front of me. Otherwise I'm succumbing to it too. Yeah. 
I agree. I think the reading is the knowledge is power because it gives you that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know that, you know, they're not as many as their friends, but I still, I've read the data, you know, it's not, it's not going to kill them if they're not doing every single activity under the sun. Um, Right. So it is possible to have both a kid who goes to college or is successful in life and also has free time as a child. Like you don't have to pick either, (laughs) either, or you can have, you can have both. Yes. Yeah, I agree. This episode is sponsored by Redmond Agriculture. If you recall from previous episodes, they're the company that produces my absolute favorite salt for baking and cooking. And they just launched something new that I have been dying to tell you about. So for years, you've heard me talk about soil testing. And it's so crucial for us as home gardeners who are trying to produce food to know what's going on at the soil level. Otherwise, it's really easy to get frustrated and not understand why your yields might be where you need them to be, why some plants are struggling and so on. Now, the problem with soil tests is that they've been pretty cumbersome to do. You have to find a university that does it locally or mail them off to random places online. There just hasn't been a great option until now. So Redmond's just launched a soil test kit that is designed for people like you and me, homesteaders and home gardeners. And what I'm holding here is a bunch of my printout results, and I have been totally nerding out over this. So it's super easy to do. Uh, You get the kit, you send it in in the mail, and within five or six days, you'll have results emailed to you. I discovered things in my test reports that I had no idea. Uh, And I'm going to go into all the nitty gritty on a future podcast episode, but um, just for now, I'll tell you a few of the most surprising findings. I discovered my compost pile was low in nitrogen. I discovered my greenhouse was too high in nitrogen. And I discovered why the potting soil that had gave me so much trouble this spring was killing all my plants. So again, I'll go into the details in an upcoming episode, but for now, I want you to have access to the soil kit because gardening season is rapidly coming to a close. And if you've had a rough year, like many folks are reporting that they've had, um, now is the time to test your soil and figure out what's up. So if you go over to the prairiehomestead.com slash soil test, you can use the code homestead to save 15% on soil kits or anything else that Redmond has to offer. So I can't wait for you to try this. Um, Knowledge is power. And as gardeners, we can use all of the data that we can get. So now back to our episode. So I know sometimes when I'm talking to different parents, we're talking about free play or, you know, my favorite thing to do is just turn the kids loose outside and they just run and they play and they, they come up with the most creative things. I just love to go down and see what they're building and making and, and, and creating, but that doesn't always come natural to all kids. Or maybe it does, but if we have had them in different atmospheres or in a lot of structure with a lot of electronics, sometimes I think just kicking them out the door, it doesn't always work out so good right at the beginning because they kind of have to get used to it. So what would you say to a parent who maybe is in that situation? How can they help their kids find the joy and the wonder of being outside if they're not used to it? Hmm. It is It is a transition. Uh, Angela Hanscom, she's got a book called Balanced and Barefoot which is one of my top favorite reads. And she is a pediatric occupational therapist. She founded this program called Timbernook where kids are just let loose outside to play. And one of the things that she says is it can take up to 45 minutes for kids to develop a play scheme. And she Mm -hmm. says for kids that are not used to it, it can take even longer. She said occasionally it's taken an hour and a half before they really settle into play and figure it out. And so it's just an understanding, I think, of, there's a lot going on there, right? You go outside and there's nothing, you know, there's, there's nothing concrete. You have to make it all up. And so 
you know, your leaf might be a baby bed or whatever it is that you're pretending, but it takes a while to get there. And so I think, I think just knowing that is helpful and giving kids time to make it through that transition. And then also, I think we like to do hikes because there's a beginning and an end and you're together. And it fosters creativity and movement and, and you are just walking and you're stuck, you're stuck out there. (laughs) No one's coming to get you. So you got to finish. And, and we like to take friends along. I think friends are uh, a key to spurring on creativity and just enjoyment in nature for everyone. And it's safer too. I think, you know, you've got an extra set of eyes. So that's one of the things that I always recommend if kids are fighting it, they don't want to go bring a good snack and invite some friends and, and they'll transition into it. And I think each with each time it gets a little bit easier. Definitely. Yeah. I think snacks and friends are always good, <laughs> good strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of other stuff do you guys do to facilitate that nature time? Cause I know when I was like a young mom, I, I was kind of skittish about it. Cause I kind of thought nature time had to be really formal. Like we're going to go camping or we're going to drive to a dedicated hiking trail for six hours and go on a hike with cute little shoes and hiking poles. And I grew up a little bit as a mother and realized it doesn't have to be like that. But I'm always curious, like what other families do together or maybe the kids do on their own or whatever to facilitate that time outside. It's really, we're in a place where there's four seasons. So, so we do things differently depending on the season. And I think I think if you're in the wrong place in the wrong season, it's awful. So for example, we've done a hike in the spring in certain areas where there's mosquitoes everywhere. So that's right. So then we don't go back. We're not going to do that. Or if you're trying to go to the zoo and it's blazing hot outside, that doesn't work either. So we're trying to work around the seasons and, and what they provide. So here it's August, it's September in Michigan. So we're swimming. That's what we're going to do for most of the time was little ponds, creeks, um, pool, local pools, that type of thing. And in the fall, we're going to go into all the pumpkin patches and we're going to pick pumpkin, pick pumpkins and, and do those types of things, go on hay rides. In the winter, we're making ice, everything we can out of ice and snow and sledding and bringing hot chocolate on our hikes. And in the spring, we're planting flowers. So we're just sort of doing the the very normal things. Our go-to is definitely hikes. And I use all trails and I use Google Maps. And we look up nature centers and places that would have a mile or two hikes, obviously a little longer now that our kids are older, but when they were little, if we could find a half mile trail or a mile trail, and then if it's far from the road and you've got place to spread out, the kids are usually pretty engaged by the time we would get back from the hike. So, you know, spread out a blanket, spread out our picnic and the kids would play. So, I mean, they've played in like, like a volleyball pit, uh, you know, sand volleyball pit, like no one's there. There's never anybody there. So they're playing in the sand or they're just running around. It's, it is bizarre. Jill, I had no idea that, that kids, I mean, the first time I went out for a long time outside for a long time, I thought this is going to crash and burn. These kids aren't going to know what to do, but they do, they find stuff and they run around with each other. And so when they're little, it was about finding places that felt safe far away Mm -hmm. from main roads, uh, where there's a lot of open, open space for kids to sort of roam and run. It always amazes me how much they keep 
it just it, they keep getting ideas it's just magic how mm-hmm. it just keeps coming and keeps coming whereas like if it was just a toy in the house it just doesn't have that same staying power yeah isn't that brilliant it's because they're it's bringing amazing. their imagination to it yeah yeah how old are your kids now i know you have five right yeah, they're six to fourteen. So these are really okay. easy ages. Yeah, we're on yeah. the cusp of we're we're we've almost passed that sweet spot because we're on the cusp of them wanting to go do do things with their friends. So um, we're out. I mean, I've lost my allure a little bit, and yeah. that comes. So it's one of those things that there's never really a perfect time. I think when they're little, it's hard for certain reasons because it's a lot of physical work and it's a lot of coordination and dealing with naps and kids cry all the time. They're always crying. They're crying about whatever they fall. (laughs) It's hard. And then as they get older, then you're dealing with trying to match up schedules with friends and that's difficult. And then, you know, as they hit those high school years then we're dealing with scheduling conflicts and just different ideas of what is fun and enjoyable and who wants to go where. And so I'm just really, when I look back, I'm so glad for all the memories that we made when we made them, even though they were difficult. Yes. I'm also in that same, I only have three kids, but I have six to 12. So I'm in that same sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, I just realized that like not too long ago, I'm like, wow, Jill, this is like the golden years because we don't have teenagers yes. yet. I don't have ta- diapers. And I'm like, we got to like enjoy every minute of this. Not that we don't enjoy all of the parts of our kids, but yeah. it's a special time. Um, it is. Yeah. So I know when my, when they were babies, we like toddlers and infants, I still took them outside on the homestead to do all the homestead things, but it was just much, much harder. Um, and I learned mm-hmm. little tricks and strategies just to keep, keep life rolling, but it wasn't always easy. Do you have any encouragement for moms who are really in the trenches of diaper bags and sippy cups and diapers to, to still be able to expose their kids to the outdoors without like losing their sanity? Cause sometimes it's, it's a challenge. I think, I think that, yeah, I think those long stretches of time really changed my whole mothering experience because it would be hard to get kids out the door. You had a lot of stuff. Yes, the, lot you've of got stuff. their diapers and I would bring a towel and I mean, a lot of times a couple changes of clothes, we'd have stuff because if they fell in the mud and then they're crying. So I had to bring a lot more back then than I do now. So we would always have the double stroller. It just had stuff on it. Didn't even have any kids. You know, you'd have the kid would be in a pack or carrying one in the pack and carrying one and pushing the stroller with the other hand. And it was like that. But I always felt like as soon as we got to where we were going to go, whether it's a friend's yard or the park down the street or the zoo or wherever the place was, a nature center, it was like that stress would just kind of melt away once you get into the right spot. And the kids are really engaged. I, Our kids didn't play super well in the house by themselves or even with each other. But once we got outside, they played better. And so I would have this time, like if we could get out, let's say from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon or whatever the schedule is, I would have a couple hours there in the middle where I could really take a deep breath and I could really be present and I could relax, which up until that point, because I was not spending time outside a lot of it with my kids until my oldest was three, I was stressed out all the time. It never changed. And the first time I had a good day as a mom was the, was the time that we went outside for an extended period of time. And it was hard at the beginning and it was hard at the end because you're having to get everything back in the house. And I would, a lot of times I would pack up the night before, pack up the picnic because you can't really do it. How can you do it when you're juggling the babies and the toddlers? And so I would pack up the night before. And so there was some work to it 
and that was stressful, but it gave me these long periods of time where I could actually enjoy them and enjoy life and enjoy a friendship. And so I think there were so many benefits uh, that were for the kids, but then also for myself. Yeah, I think that's really important. As moms, sometimes I think we get so hung up in the kid-centered part of it, which is wonderful and important, but also we still need to have the little hits of dopamine and the warm, fuzzy feelings and the benefits for us too, just to keep motivated, to keep doing it. Yeah. 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 And um, you get to leave the mess. I mean, that's a thing too. They say, you know, the, the messier the house, the more you feel chaotic in your mind. And yeah. I think when you have young kids, you try and you try and just deal with it. And I know you talk about like buying ugly. So you're, you're trying yeah. to deal with it, right? You're like, this is still better. I'm trying to deal with these feelings of it's okay, but it still does kind of grate on you a little bit. And so you go outside, you sure. get a break from that too. Like you get a break from feeling like, oh, I'm behind on laundry. I'm behind on yes. dishes. I'm behind on cooking. I'm behind on everything. And you get to not look at it. And I think that was also really beneficial for me too, because I think when you have young kids, there's no way. There's no way that you're going to keep that house as clean as you no. really would like it to be and as organized as you really would feel comfortable with it being. And so then you just get to leave it. And it's different than playing inside where behind, in the back of your mind, you're like, I should probably be sweeping that corner. And there's a cobweb and all of the different things that you see around you that um, that that are gr trying to grab your attention as well. Yeah, the distractions are are mm. formidable. Yeah. Um, even now that my kids are older, I still sometimes I'm like, can you go eat the watermelon outside? <laughs> can, just so you can like, it, when they make a mess out there, it's just so much easier. Like, you know, go, okay, you want to play with sand and your little animals? Absolutely. Do it on the deck. Cause it's just, yeah, the ha right. it's, just, it's just, everything's easier out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know you are a fan of, or you're influenced by Charlotte Mason. And I think if someone's a homeschooler and listening to this, they're probably familiar with her work, but for those who might be listening, who aren't familiar with her, can you kind of give a rundown um, of her methods and her philosophies? <laughs> okay, this is a I great mean, question, Jill, because yeah. I have no idea. Here's the oh. thing. This is my story. <laughs> I We homeschool, and okay. um, I always knew we were going to homeschool. And so what happened was I did mops, uh, mothers mm, of preschoolers, okay. and uh, when my kids were young. And one of my friends at my table, who'd been at my table for a couple years, she had a kid that was a year older than mine, and she was going to homeschool too. So she had been researching. I hadn't okay. researched anything. So she came to Mops and she was like, Hey, Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day. And I thought it was so, <laughs> I thought it was just out of this world. Like, four, yeah. what? Four to six hours a day? I didn't know who Charlotte Mason was. Yeah. I actually went and did the four to six hours with this friend before I learned that Charlotte Mason is from the 1800s. <laughs> I would have been like, no, we're not doing that. She's out of date. But Charlotte yeah. Mason was a an educational philosopher, I think is what people refer to her as, a British educational philosopher. She was um, born in the 1800s and then lived until the early 1900s. And she, she wrote these six volumes of were uh, six volumes about education and child rearing and parenting. Interestingly, she was not a mother herself. So the books are interesting because they come from a different perspective. Yeah. And some of the stuff is out of touch. A lot of the people had help, like nurses and help in the home, which is not how things yeah. are today. So yeah. some of the stuff is not applicable, but then a lot of it, a lot of it is lovely and talking about just not overburdening kids and 
and spreading before them a full life. But anyway, I've only read one of the books because there's six. And I was having someone on our podcast about her, about Charlotte Mason. So I was mm-hmm. like, Jill, I was like, I got to read up. I'm gotta reading get all ready. Six. And then I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I read one. Uh, but she has some really interesting and um, philosophies that have stemmed the span of time here. Yeah. And so a lot of people, fo- a lot of people follow her to the T and I pretty much just know that piece about being outside and a couple yeah. other little snippets, but she has been very influential in well, the world of education for sure. Confession. I haven't not read her books either, but I am f- <laughs> vaguely familiar with her. Um, <laughs> That's kind of how I would so, read it. Okay. Vaguely two homeschool familiar. moms I've who don't one. know much about Charlotte Mason. So here we are. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, it's fascinating to me though. I'm just like obsessed with the, the idea right now of just what people knew in the 1800s or, you know, sort mm-hmm. at least sort of knew. And then we completely seem to have forgot throughout, you know, the 20th century. Yes. And now we're just starting to be like, Oh, wait a second. That actually was a good idea. Yes. And I think the like, guru, yeah, <laughs> the like, parenting yeah. gurus yeah. Yeah. are from and the 1800s. Seriously. And so much is like that, the food. And like, I was looking mm. at some research on, um, just the beauty of the agrarian life and the countryside and nature. And then I'm like, and y'all forgot all of that from like 1920 to 19, whatever. And then we're now we're like, wait a second, that was a good idea. Industrialization mm-hmm. kind of messed us up for a little bit. Um, that's a whole nother topic. But mm-hmm. um, the reason I was bringing Charlotte Mason up, cause I, there was this quote, I think it was on your website. And I thought it was interesting because I've had, like we had Lenore Skenazy on a few episodes ago and we've been talking mm-hmm. about like free range kids and turning kids loose. And I know Richard Louvre, Last Child in the Woods talks about like alone time in nature. Um, so I'm curious how this quote, how this like goes together, or maybe it doesn't go together, but it's the quote is in the first place, do not send them outside. If it is any way possible, take them. For although the children should be left much to themselves, there is a great deal to be done and a great deal to be prevented during those long hours in the open air. So I'm just curious, what what do you think she was meaning by that? I have no idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But you know what? Here's what I think. Let me tell you what I think. Here's what I think. I think that when I was growing up, kids played outside by themselves. Mm -hmm. And that was the culture. And I think for a long time, before, before childhood moved inside, people were, kids were playing outside by themselves. And I tell this story about my father-in-law who grew up with, I mean, he's got a, I don't, I should know. I think he's like got seven siblings. I don't know. There's a lot of kids in his family, but he grew up on this street where there was something like 75 kids within the first 10 houses. And they're all living in these bungalows. And so the kids just run amok after school and the parents were inside. And Mm. so I think for a very long time, for decades and decades, life was sort of like that. And then childhood moved inside. Now, now things have really changed because it's not as easy to push our kids out. So, well, first of all, if you're a homesteading family, you may not have neighbors. Uh, but even if you live in the suburbs, your neighbors are, are probably not outside. And so we don't have this situation where there's 75 yeah. neighborhood kids running around and you're going to find a playmate. Kids are alone. And so what I used to think was I used to be jealous. I used to think, well, I could, my house could be clean if I would have been a mom in the seventies and I could have just pushed my kids out to play with the neighborhood kids. But what I've thought is that I get to go and things now I get to go and I go because I have to arrange things and we're meeting up with people or we're having people over in our home or we're out doing homestead chores. Right. So I get to go. And I think, I think what that's done is it's, it's brought about this rebirth in the 
value of motherhood. And a lot of people are talking about that. Ainsley Arment is talking about Mm -hmm. that with her Wild and Free groups and her books that this is a time where we're really coming into our own and we get to experience. We're not shut up inside. I think that before the moms were shut up inside, they were were working in the home um, or they're working out of the home, but they're they're doing all this homemaking thing and they're not enjoying the benefits of the sunlight and all of that too. So I think our life is too chaotic to be able to control how much alone time kids get or don't get and how much we're interacting. But when you do go outside, if you have kids that need that alone time, it's definitely a place to facilitate it because there's, you can go lay in the grass and lay in Mm -hmm. the sun. You kind of see kids do that naturally where they'll, they'll go off on their own and just, dig in the sand or do those types of things. And they can, they can follow the instincts of their body, I think, easier outside than inside. I I agree. Yes. Yes. And it's good. Yeah. We need it as moms too. Everyone needs it. Mm -hmm. We all need our dose of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If someone's living in the big city, maybe even like an apartment and they want more nature time with their kids, do you have ideas for them on how they can soak in nature a little bit more? Have you ever read, um, Scott Sampson has a book called How to Raise a Wild Child. He I'm was uh, familiar with it. He yes, was like yes. a dinosaur train, PBS dinosaur train. Okay. He, he says in there that uh, nature is everywhere thrusting up between the cracks of the sidewalk. Oh, that's so and I good. just thought that was such a cool thing. We used to live in a townhouse. We didn't have a yard. And, and actually, I was on the Today Show uh, last year, and – with this Dylan Dreyer and it was a zoom call. Cause it was, everyone's still at home yeah. and she was in some apartment and she, she was like, look where I live. And she turned the screen. How am I supposed to do this? And there's all these trees out there. It was the spring. Mm-hmm. They were budding. And, and I've been to visit my brother lives in, um, in Brooklyn, New York. So there's playgrounds everywhere on all these different street corners. So I think it looks different and there's different, there's different challenges in all situations. If you're in the suburbs, it might be easier because there's neighborhood kids or that might make it harder because maybe your kids don't get along. And if you're in the city, you're probably going to have to go and you're going to be walking around the blocks or you're going to be going to the park. You probably can't, maybe you can't send them by themselves depending on how old they are. And if you're on your farm, it might just be you and the kids and they want a playmate and you don't have one. And so there's challenges for everyone, but but we all have a certain amount of time that we can call our own. For some for some families it's more and some families it's less, depending on all sorts of factors. But and and obviously our living situations and our climates. I mean, this is kind yeah. of what makes families unique and really cool though, right? Which is like this is a unique expression of your family where you live in your stage of life with your kids and everyone's adventures look different. And then that gives us variety in our personalities and and our life experiences. Absolutely. I think it's a lot like homesteading because people always, they ha- I think they have their picture in their mind of what the perfect homestead would be. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hmm. Like people think we have the perfect homestead. I'm like, y'all, we live in the Arctic. So <laughs> I have the challenge, like everything freezes and nothing wants to grow and there's bad wind and there's blizzards. Um, that's my challenge. And your challenge yeah, that's might be- not conducive yeah, to That's not conducive to homesteading. <laughs> I know y'all think it looks good on Instagram. It's not good. <laughs> it's hard. But- or, you know, someone who doesn't live in the Arctic lives in California and it's too hot or it's too dry or mm-hmm. it's too muggy or, you know, and I think, I think that's such a great um, point that there is no perfect situation. 
you know, if you live in the city, mm-hmm. you might have advantages of homesteading over me, or you might have advantages of how your kids could play outside over me. And I have other aspects that you might not have. And it's just figigring out how to right. make the most of those situations, I think is mm-hmm. such a good point. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Talk to me about the uh, 1000 hours outside challenge. What is that? And how can folks learn more? So this is like the whole thing. Uh, when our when our kids were little and we had read that Charlotte Mason thing, mm-hmm. when I didn't know she was from the 1800s, <laughs> we really shifted our lifestyle to aim for that four to six hours, but only a couple days okay. a week. She actually says whenever the weather is tolerable. So we were spending about 18 to 20 hours outside a week for a couple years. We had a little group of friends that we'd get together with. And at one point I added up the hours we were spending outside because Scott Sampson had in his book this uh, statistic that kids are on screens for four to seven hours, but outside for four to seven minutes. And that's an old stat, but, um, I, if anything, it's even become more unbalanced since COVID. But, um, so I was sort of spurred on to figure out how much time we were spending outside and it was about 1200 hours in a year. And, um, that was the exact amount of time that kids were on screens in America at the time. And so I just thought it just, it made me think about what we would have missed the things that we would have missed had those moments gone to screens, gone to mm. virtual activities instead of yes. real activities. And we were outside in a fairly populated area. We're in the Metro Detroit area and we were never running into other kids. And so because this time outside had been so impactful for myself and for our entire family, I thought I'm going to write about it. I probably started blogging around the same time you did because blogs were big th- they back were big. then. <laughs> yes, they were. And actually I was thinking about how we've sort of just ridden this wave um, that we've not chosen. It's like blogs are no longer the thing and you just have to adjust. I don't know. I had this moment when I was, I was reading about you started your blog 12 years ago and I was like, Oh, I think that's about when I did mine. It might've been 10 years ago, but you just have, you have to adapt to like whatever's being served to you. you do. And yeah. so it was just this weird thing, like a marionette, you know, but anyway, so I thought I'm going to, I'm going to write about our experiences. And I called it 1000 hours outside because it was catchier than 1200 hours outside. And because it sort <laughs> of goes along with <laughs> yeah. the, the prevailing wisdom, which is that kids, um, the ideal is that kids are outside for three hours a day, but that's not practical. Because who can do that every single day? We have different things that come up. So I thought, well, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to shoot to be outside for a thousand hours every year. That's it. Within a calendar year, that's the whole thing. We have free downloadable trackers on our website where you color in an hour for every time you're outside. And it's motivational and it reminds you of it. And it's giving kids a tool to model balance. And we're celebrating. Uh, Someone's there to pat you on the back and say, look, you are pushing against the forces of society and you are you are claiming you know that it is important to be human and all of these things so uh, at the beginning sort of like how I felt about Charlotte Mason I think a lot of people thought it was really odd in fact for several years people were like what what are you doing you're keeping track of the time you spend outside but it has since become a global movement and we have those free tracking sheets on our website and we have an app that's just a couple bucks of people like that. And it comes, they have like badges that they earn. Um, we have like hiking prompts, the free downloadable kickoff pack with hiking prompts and picture books and ideas of things to do for the different seasons and different months. But uh, the, the whole premise of it is very simple. It's not easy. Yeah. It's a simple premise. It's not really easy to implement. You gotta, yeah. you gotta 
try and figure it out and different, like we said, for different families, but the impact is really profound. It fills your life with what you really want to fill it with. And then the leftover time is what goes for screens instead of the other way around. I think that idea of of filling it first. And and when we do that, so many of their problems almost take care of themselves. We get more family time. Our kids are moving more, which is really important right now. They're not so apt to be on their screens. They're probably going to be bickering less. Maybe they're not like getting rid of that entirely, but you know, they'll have something to do. That's it is a um, lot. Yeah. It's, it's there's a just big so difference. many good things. Like there's just, yes. you're hitting all the bases when you're, when you're doing that. Yeah. 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 I always say it's a solution to many modern mer- parenting problems, yes. which is why I take that approach over, over there's all these little fixes. Like I'm going to put my phone in my room when it's dinner time. I mean, we try and do yeah. those things too, but this is an overarching goal that helps with a lot of the day-to-day things that we come up against as parents. Yes. And we have downloaded your trackers. By the way, guys, they're gorgeous. Like they're pretty. They're fun. They're fun. Like, they're I'm fun. Like, they, I yeah. want one. Yeah. And my kids Yeah, they've been designed yep, cool. by the Thousand yeah. Hours Outside community. We do a, yes. a design contest every fall. So I think that's they're brilliant. fun. They're not just like your typical like checklist. Like my daughter is, has color coordinated and is like, you know, making a whole design and it's, it's really fun. So guys go download those and take part in the challenge. I just had one question. You were saying that you said you're going for 46 hours every, how did you say, how much time are you shooting for is in your family? I can't remember what you said. How you, well, you we, when we, when I, when we first started spending time outside, and I, and I would not named anything or we yeah. were just being outside. We spent two years with this little nature group where we were spending about 18 to 20 hours a week. And that's okay. about that's what it ends up being. But, but it's more, it's more in the summer and less in the winter for us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's opposite. If you live in a place that's really hot, like Texas yeah. or something, yours would probably be more in the winter and less in the summer. Yeah. And that is the beauty of a world that has a lot of variety in it. Yeah. I will say I've been shocked. My kids definitely spend more time in the summer outside, but I'm shocked at how tough they can be when they have something to do outside. <laughs> like they, we get pretty cold here and they, they can, you know, cowboy up and put on all their clothes and, and make it happen. Although we had a, we did it, had a documentary a film crew come out in February of this year and it was like crazy cold, like 30 below. And <laughs> the film wow. crew got my kids, you know, we weren't outside very long. It was just to do chores and come back in for the cameras, but like it's 30 below and they're like completely bundled up and they have their axes and they're chopping ice. And I'm like, somebody's going to report me for child abuse after <laughs> seeing this video. Cause they're like, your kids are out in 30 below, but they, they handled it. They didn't complain. Like kids are tough. They need to have all the right clothes, but they can, they can be outside when it's cold. I'm always amazed at how, how well they do. Yeah. That. It helps them. Yeah. It helps them develop grit. And Linda mm-hmm. McGurk, she's got a book called rain. Um, well, she's rain or shine mama, but her book is called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And she has a new book mm-hmm. coming out in November, but she's from Scandinavia. And she says there, they just change their clothes and people don't yeah. talk about good weather, bad weather. They just go. But one of the things that she did say was that it does help them develop grit. And there yes. aren't really that many ways to develop grit. And um, Stephen Ranella, who is meat eater, mm-hmm. he was on our podcast and he he just came out with a book too called Out. Uh, indoor kids and uh, outdoor kids in an inside world, I think. And um, he was talking about how he'd seen some guy who was out doing work and he had no shirt on. He was just getting bit up by mosquitoes and it didn't seem to bother him. And you're developing grit and resilience. And in some cases, there's not many other ways to figure out how to do that besides being in uncomfortable situations and 
nature does that for you. Like when it's really humid and all these different situations, it's really cold. It's helping you to learn that you can face adversity and you can maybe last longer than you originally thought. Yes. Um, I had Michael Easter on an episode or two ago. He wrote The Comfort Crisis. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's good. And it's just exactly what you said. But, you know, basically his premise is that we can't develop resilience and toughness unless we are uncomfortable, which no one wants to be uncomfortable, but it's like so important that we seek that out. And I think the more we can teach that to our kids, like, you know, you might be cold, you might be hot, you're not going to die. You'll be fine. Like, it's going to feel really good when you get in the house and let's talk Mm -hmm. about like why this is important. I think that's crucial to learn that little so they can carry that into adulthood. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, but I got off track. My, My question was, you said 18 to 20 hours a week, which is fantastic. I know some people might hear that and go, how on earth are you doing that and not losing your mind? So I know like hiking is a part of your strategy. Um, where, oh goodness. Other... I love it. This yeah. is like the best part of my life. Yeah. So I'm not losing my mind because this is, this is the best part of how we live. And in fact, at this point I struggle if we're, if we're not getting out or yeah. if I have a day that's filled yeah. with work, or I've got writing deadlines and I'm like, Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Know, out. It's so hard. But that's you so know, hard. I think, there, you know, people who have, there's all sorts of different situations, right? So you've got mm-hmm. a single mom, you've got kids that are full-time in school, you've got two full-time working parents. And so there's a couple of things. First of all, people use their school recess. They use afternoon times. They'll go out for a full day on the weekends. They'll vacation in a place where it's easy to get outside. They'll camp. You get a lot of hours if you camp for three yeah. or four days. Yeah. But then also people adjust the goal too. So sometimes I had, a, I had a mom message me once and she said, I've got split custody. I The most I could possibly do is 250 hours, you know? So, so the point is the number is, is important, but mm-hmm. also it's not, you know, it's the point is being intentional yeah. Yeah. and knowing that it holds value. And so I think when we know that it holds value, we're less apt to skip over it yes. than we might otherwise. And so, so the point more is a goal, even though that thousand hours is, is research backed and it's a good one to shoot for if it's going to make you depressed or upset or, and some people don't, some people are like, I'm not tracking at all. I just want to get outside and they're motivated to get outside more often or to have a dinner on the deck instead of eating it indoors or to play their game or to read their book or to do their schoolwork, their homework, sitting outside at a picnic table. All of those things are so beneficial and that exposure to full spectrum light and the sounds and the fresh air, all those things are worthy uses of our time and they keep us being human. Amen. Man, I think that's the perfect way to wrap that up. That, that is, that could be on like a quote graphic. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, awesome. Any, anything that we missed that you'd like to say or add in? Um, that's a tricky one. Do you know, don't you know, like you have so many, there's so many so many thoughts. Things. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, my encouragement yeah. is just to, you know, we only have this short period of time with our kids. And, and so this hits all of the boxes. It helps our kids cognitively. It helps them emotionally. It helps their social skills tremendously. It helps their them physically. It helps them spiritually if that's something that you're interested in. And all at the same time, it helps us as well as parents to be present and to be healthier. And then all along the way, you're building these foundational pillars of memory. So 
It just hits a lot of boxes and it's a worthy use of your time. I always say what the child finds worthy is worthy. So when they're out there doing those things that, you know, are not French lessons and are not learning violin and they're just hitting something with a stick and it seems less than, it's really not. It's helping them in their development and their bodies know what comes next. And so we can trust our kids and we can really enjoy the childhood years with them. Amen. Well said. Yes. Worthy use of our time. So many of the old fashioned things I think fall into that category, even though sometimes our modern culture tends to, you know, kind of push them aside. So good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jill. Absolutely. Where can folks find you online if they want to maybe join the challenge or learn more about you and all you have to offer? Yeah, I'm pretty easy. I'm just 1,000 hours outside. But then sometimes people say 100 hours or 10,000 hours. So okay. it's 1,000, <laughs> which is three zeros, one zero 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 hours outside. So the website is 1,000hoursoutside.com. And then I'm on Instagram. And there are people use the hashtag 1,000hoursoutside.com, which is, or 1,000 hours outside. So it's fun to see what people are doing all over the place with their outside time. We have a Facebook group that's got over 100,000 people in it. The app is called 1,000 hours outside. The podcast is called 1,000 hours outside. So it's pretty easy to find. And there's, we've got a fair amount of resources out there. Excellent. I like your branding. It's immaculate and easy to remember. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. I know this was inspiring and encouraging to me. Also, thanks for all the book recommendations. I like wrote down, I don't know, a lot of book recommendations, which is my <laughs> love language. So thank you for that. Same, um, same. I'm same. <laughs> yes. Love the books. Love the books. I've got so, Michael Easter written down. Go try. Yes. He's, he's awesome. You'll like it. It'll be right up your alley. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, thanks for making time and thanks for all sharing all your wisdom with the audience. I know they're going to be excited to listen to this one. Oh, Jill, thanks so much for having me. I have loved being here.